Chapter Four, Part Two of the Cruise of the Esmeralda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christopher Weber. The Cruise of the Esmeralda by Harry Collingwood. In Blue Water, Part Two. It was a glorious morning. The sun, already well above the horizon, just taking the keen edge off the air and rendering the pure easterly breeze soft and balmy without depriving it of any of its bracing and exhilarating qualities the sky a magnificent deep pure blue overhead softening down in tint to warm tender tones of gray as the eye travelled from the zenith horizonward cloud properly speaking there was none save a few faint streaks here and there the kind known as mare's tails but away to the northward and eastward the sky at the horizon although it was a clear pale primrose hue had that particular indescribable hardness of tint that to the experienced eye is a sure forerunner of a good wholesome breeze that breeze however was yet to come the wind at the moment being very paltry little more than sufficient indeed to keep the heavier canvas asleep and to send the bark along at a speed of about five knots. The water was perfectly smooth, save, of course, for the ripple caused by the light breeze. But, so far as swell was concerned, there was absolutely none, the ship neither pitching nor rolling perceptibly. In due course my passengers made their appearance on deck, in high glee at the favorable condition of the weather, and full of compliments as to the comfort of the sleeping cabins and indeed it was not difficult to judge by their flesh and cheerful looks that they had enjoyed a sound and undisturbed night's rest even poor lady desmond was looking incomparably more bright and cheerful than had been the case with her a short day previously and was already beginning to speak hopefully of her possible recovery as the day wore on the wind instead of freshening as we had expected from the indications at sunrise, grew more and more paltry. So it was rather late on the afternoon ere we reached Weymouth. The weather, however, had been undergoing a slow and subtle change all day, and when we at length rounded to and back the Esmeralda's main yard in the roadstead, the sky away to the eastward was overspread by a broad bank of dirty gray vapor, reaching almost to the zenith, the mare's tails had increased in number and became more strongly defined, and a thin veil of scarcely perceptible vapor was sweeping steadily athwart the blue. The horizon to the eastward, too, had become overcast, so much so, indeed, as to completely obscure St. Albans' head. The wind was beginning to freshen in fitful puffs, and the small surges occasionally combed and broke into a miniature whitecap all of which indicated with sufficient clearness that the long-expected breeze was close at hand, and that, moreover, we should probably have quite as much of it as we wanted. I accordingly lost no time in lowering the gig, and getting my mother and her belongings into her, when we shoved off, leaving the ship in charge of Mr. Roberts, and stretched out for the harbor. My mother seemed a good deal cut up, now that the moment of parting had drawn so very near, and, poor soul, 
spent most of the short time during which we were traversing the space between the ship and the harbour, with her head on my shoulder, crying softly, and fondling my disengaged hand in hers. While, as for me, I was, like most sailors, sadly wanting in eloquence, and could think of nothing better or more encouraging to say than that I was at last really starting out to seek my fortune, and that I hopefully intended to find it ere I returned to her. Ah, me! How little I guessed at the hardship and suffering in store for me, or the anxiety and anguish of mind that my dear mother was to endure before we two should meet again. Landing at the flight of boat steps near the inner end of the pier, I put my mother and her baggage into the first fly that presented itself, kissed her a dozen times, said good-bye hurriedly, and tore myself away, springing hastily into the stern sheets of the gig with a final wave of my hand as the dear soul drove away. "'Give way, men!' I exclaimed huskily. "'The breeze is freshening fast, and I care not how soon we are once more on board the Esmeralda.' The breeze was indeed freshening fast. The thick weather had crept down the coast until the highland about the burning cliff was only dimly visible, and as we dashed out past the end of the pier, the water in the bay was all flecked with white. The Esmeralda, with royals clued up, was halfway across toward Portland Roads, but Roberts was evidently keeping a sharp lookout, for, judging it to be about time for us to make our appearance, he had already filled on the ship and as we rounded the buoy marking the extremity of the reef on the south side of the harbour we saw her fly up into the wind and tack with a rapidity which i had certainly never before witnessed in a square-rigged ship the little beauty worked as quickly as they could swing the yards as the stroke oarsman remarked enthusiastically we paddled gently ahead leaving to those on board the task of picking us up and very neatly and smartly was it done too the bark keeping a rapid full and tearing through the water like a racer, until exactly the right moment, when she flew up ahead to wind, shooting into the wind's eye in magnificent style, ranging up alongside us in the boat and picking us up while still in stays, then paying off again on the other tack almost before the tackles were hooked on. Another minute, and the gig was once more at the davits, and the Esmeralda, on a taut bow line, and with her royal yards again mast-headed, was rushing away at a perfectly bewildering pace on a course that would enable her to just handsomely weather the outer end of Portland Breakwater. If the little witch continued to eat into the wind as she was then doing, Roberts was evidently in ecstasies at the ship's behavior. His flushed cheeks, his sparkling eyes, and his quick, restless movements told me that but he would have bitten his tongue out, rather than have suffered himself to be betrayed in any remark which could possibly be construed into fishing for a compliment. And it was truly amusing to watch the heroic efforts he made to stimulate a cool and indifferent demeanor. But it was plain enough that he was hungering for a word of praise to the ship that he had learned to love as though she were flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. So I hastened to gratify the good fellow by eulogizing, as indeed I could, with the most perfect honesty, the marvellous weatherly qualities and speed of the ship, 
as also the stiffness with which she stood up under her big spread of canvas. Had I not done so, I verily believe that my reputation as a seaman would have shrunk very materially in my chief mate's estimation, instead of increasing, as it immediately did. The wind being dead fair for the run out of the channel, we took our departure from the Bill of Portland, and, packing the studding sails upon the willing little barky, passed Ushant at four o'clock the next morning. A truly wonderful run, but then our patent log showed that we had been travelling at the rate of a fair, honest fifteen knots from the moment that we dropped that useful machine overboard off the bill. This magnificent breeze followed us up for the next four days, and carried us into the latitude of Madeira, an almost unprecedented performance, but it must not be forgotten that it was blowing a whole gale from the eastward all this time, or well over our larboard quarter, allowing every thread of canvas to draw to perfection, and, finding that the bark carried her canvas superbly, I simply let Robert have his way with her, although I must admit that never before in my experience had I seen a craft so boldly driven. Then, on the evening of the fifth day out of Weymouth, the wind rapidly dwindled away to nothing, and left us rolling heavily on the steep swells that followed us. I concluded that we had run into the doldrums, or horse latitudes, and that we should now probably have calms, or light baffling airs, until we fell in with the trade winds. But on going below, to turn in at midnight, I observed that a very decided fall of the barometer had taken place. I therefore returned to the deck for a moment, and cautioned the second mate, whose watch it was, to keep a sharp lookout for any sign of a decided change in the weather, and gave him strict injunctions to call me immediately that any indication of such change should become apparent. I had some thought of remaining on deck an hour or two longer, to personally watch the development of events but reflecting that I had been out of my berth for the last eighteen hours, and that, if we were to have bad weather, it might be some time before I should have another opportunity to sleep, I decided to go below and get what rest I could, especially as the sky was at the time perfectly clear, with the stars shining brilliantly. A sailor soon gets into the habit of falling asleep the moment his head touches his pillow, and I was no exception to the rule. Although my newly assumed responsibilities caused me perhaps to sleep more lightly than before, at all events, I had, even in the short time that we had been at sea, acquired the faculty of being cognizant of almost everything that happened on deck, even during the time that I was asleep, and on this particular night it seemed to me that I had not been in my berth more than ten minutes, although the time was actually close upon two hours when I heard the second mate quietly descending the saloon staircase, and in another moment his knuckles were cautiously tapping at the door of my cabin. Aye, aye, I answered drowsily. What is it, Mr. Forbes? Sorry to disturb you, sir, was the reply, but there seems to be something brewing away down there to the southward and westward. It's as black as a wolf's mouth thereaway, and there's a nasty cross-swell getting up as you may feel for yourself, sir. All right, I returned, rolling reluctantly out of my berth. I'll be on deck in a minute. I was as good as my word, 
and upon popping my head outside the companion i came to the conclusion that i had been called none too soon there is absolutely not a breath of air stirring save that created by the heavy flapping of the canvas as the ship rolled with a quick uneasy motion almost gunwale to and upon interrogating the helmsman i learned that he had lost all command over the vessel for fully an hour it was as the second mate had said intensely dark down to the southwestern quarter and a very brief observation sufficed to demonstrate that the pall of cloud which hid the heavens in that direction was slowly but steadily spreading towards the zenith star after star being blotted out even as i watched them the air too was close and oppressive as the breath of an oven while the surface of the sea was unusually agitated the run seeming to come from all points of the compass at once and to meet under the ship causing her to wallow so awkwardly that the water tumbled in over her rail in all directions now forward now aft and anon in the waist and on either side with the utmost impartiality the water was everywhere of an inky blackness save along the ship's bends and where she dipped in over her rail this disturbed water looked at a short distance as though it had been diluted with milk but examined closely it was found aglow with a faint fire like the glimmer of summer lightning with small star-like points of stronger light thickly scattering through it the most perfect silence reigned outside the ship but on board there is quite a small babble of sound storming about us the creaking of yard parles and trusses aloft mingled with the loud flap of the canvas to the roll of the ship the cheap of block sheaves the sharp slanting of suddenly tautened gear and the pattering of reef points while on the deck there were monotonous swishes of water washing athwart the planks from side to side with the choking gurgle of the water spouting up through the scuppers and the heavy splashing sound of the brine as it poured in over the bulwarks the whole set to a dismal accompanying of creaking timbers rattling doors and breaking crockery below how long has the weather been like this mr forbes i asked as my subordinate stood a few paces apart from me waiting to hear what i had to say about the aspect of things in general well sir he replied that is not a very easy question to answer it has been gathering ever since about half an hour after you went below but the change has been going on so imperceivably that it scarcely forced itself upon my attention until just before ah did you hear that sir a low faint weird moaning sound scarcely perceivable had floated to the ship causing the mate to interrupt himself suddenly and at the same moment a light evanescent puff of hot air seemed to sweep past us yes i said i both heard and felt it we are going to have a heavy squall if nothing worse out of that blackness yonder turn the hands up once and let them go to work to strip the ship without loss of time get in all your light flying kites first of all and stow them snugly then brail in your mizzen and stow it let run your staysail halyards and haul up your courses we will leave nothing spread but the two topsails and the fore topmast sail then let what will come we shall be prepared for it 
Forbes hurried away to execute this order, and next moment there came the sounds of a most unmerciful pounding on the forecastle head with a handspike, and the accompanying cry of, Hitherto there, sleepers, tumble up, all hands shorten sail, hurry up, my bullies, or we shall have the squall upon us before we are ready for it. The response to the summons was almost instantaneous, and in two or three minutes the whole crew were at work, under the orders of Mr. Roberts, who had heard, even in his sleep, the distant cry of all hands, and had tumbled out without waiting for a more formal summons. This man I now found to be excellent in such an emergency as the present, calm, cool, and collected, not hurrying anybody, yet as if it were, infusing his own energy and vitality into the men by the sharp, incessive tone of his voice, and putting quicksilver into them by, as it seemed, the mere exercise of his will. Under such masterful supervision the work progressed rapidly, and in something over half an hour we had the ship under her fore and main topsails, which were patent reefing, and the fore topmast staysail. Every other thread had been snugly furled, and the men once more down on deck. The watch was then set again, for the short time remaining to them, and I composed myself comfortably in a capacious wicker chair to abide the issue of events. The sky had by this time become entirely overcast, from horizon to horizon, and so intensely dark was it that I was literally unable to see my hand when I raised it before my eyes, but way of experiment, and, but for the dim radiance gleaming through the skylight from the turned-down lamp in the saloon, the faint gleam of light from the binnacle illuminating feebly and in a ghost-like manner the head and shoulders of a man who lounged beside the useless wheel, and the pale fires flashing from the water that washed to and fro athwart the deck with the roll of the ship, it would have been utterly impossible to have moved from spot to spot save by the aid of one's memory from the various localities about the ship. A period of perhaps twenty minutes had elapsed since the retirement of the watch below at the conclusion of their labors, and I had stolen on tiptoe to the skylight, doubtless influenced to this stealth mode of progression by the profound silence of the night, for the purpose of again consulting the barometer that swung therein, when I felt a heavy drop of the tepid water fall upon my face. This was followed by another, and another, and another, and then, with the roar of a cataract, down came the rain in a perfect deluge, thrashing the surface of the sea into an expanse of ghostly, lambent, phosphorescent white that quickly spread apparently to the extreme limits of the horizon, and filling our decks so rapidly that it became necessary to open the ports fore and aft in order to free them. This deluge lasted about five minutes, when it ceased as abruptly as it had begun, but even that short time had sufficed to beat the sea down so smooth that the previous violent rolling of the ship was reduced to a gentle, scarcely perceivable oscillation. Now stand by to let run your fore and main topsail halyards, I cried, a command which was responded to by a prompt, aye aye, sir, from the forecastle, the pattering of bare feet upon the deck, and the sound of the ropes falling smartly on the planking as the halyard falls, 
were lifted off their pins and flung to the deck. How is your head? I inquired of the helmsman. West nor west, sir, was the reply. Man your starboard fore and main braces, Mr. Forbes, said I to the second mate, who was standing by the break of the poop, peering anxiously into the impenetrable gloom. Aye, aye, sir. Starboard fore and main braces, lads. Be smart now, and lay the yards fore and aft before the squall breaks upon us. The men, who were evidently uneasy and anxious to be doing anything rather than spend their time in passive anticipation, sprang to the braces and hauled the yards smartly round to a cheery yo-heave-ho, flattening in until they could get no more. Well there, belay, commanded Forbes, and as he spoke a sudden powerful puff of warm air swept athwart the ship and was gone, causing the topsails to flap violently once and collapse again. This was quickly followed by a second puff, heavier and rather less transient than the last. Indeed, it continued long enough to give the ship steerage way, for which I was deeply thankful, promptly availing myself of it to order the helm hard up and get our bows pointed in a northeasterly direction so as to place the point of the horizon from which we expected the squall dead astern of us. This was barely done when Forbes cried out, in a voice, the tones of which curiously expressed a feeling of mingled alarm and relief. Stand by, sir. Here it comes at last. End of In Blue Water Part 2